Each week, Richard and Father Mark present a rigorous discussion of the Bible in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. Over 24,000 episodes are downloaded each month at no charge. Please consider marking your level of support with a one-time donation or by pledging a small amount per episode. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. What good would it be if a man were to ascend to the highest heaven and return with nothing to say? Would you be impressed by him? Would you brag about him to others? If so, what would you say? If this man has nothing to say about his so-called revelation, what is there to brag about? I know how some of you will answer. You will talk about his feelings and the life-changing wonder of having such an experience. Unfortunately, your feelings, your experience, and 50 cents will not buy me a cup of coffee. Actually, in 2016, your feelings, your experience, and $2 will not buy me a cup of coffee. But I digress. Richard and I discuss 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 139 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Paul continues in chapter 12 with his discussion of boasting. If any kind of boasting is sublimated to the text, whether of weakness or foolish boasting in which you boast of your strength and your value as a human being, it becomes useful for the text and therefore is functional. Paul can do whatever he wants as long as it's teaching the text, it's okay. You really do have the freedom when you're under the gospel to do whatever you want, except you still have one Lord, but that Lord doesn't restrict one action from another action. It only has to be, as you say, submitted to the text. The function of any behavior can be made to submit to the text when it functions to explain, illumine, or recant the text. Now, when I say explain or illumine, I don't mean to bring new insights to the text. We're talking about exegesis. I mean to explain what the text is saying, which is how Paul is using his boasting. But here in 12, he's going to boast again and really emphasize what useless boasting is. But he's also going to show you how something utterly useless, something that can't be uttered, is utterly useless. How even something like that can be made to serve the text unto your instruction if the teacher uses it to speak the word of the text. When anyone is speaking the text or teaching the text, we have to listen to the voice, but we're not allowed to judge the person who's speaking. It's only the voice that we have. And we don't judge the voice, but we submit because it's coming from the Lord. Whenever there is authority, the authority is given there by the Lord, and it's given us the opportunity to learn what the text is teaching. Those who are so wise, as Paul would like to say, will blather on, notice they're blathering on, about how silence is golden. I disagree. Silence is not golden. 
It's a Hellenistic truism. Are you telling me silence has an ontological value? That's silly. You have to speak a word. Everybody that Jesus healed in the gospel got up from the bed of sickness, from the stretcher, or from their illness, or from the inability to speak, or from blindness, or from certain death, and they went out and spoke a word. They were healed by the word, and in gratitude they started speaking the same word. So don't tell me silence is golden. Don't tell me that Paul's desire to speak boldly and his desire to argue with his opponents for the sake of the gospel, not to defeat his opponents, don't tell me that was Paul's ego. You sound so foolish in scriptural terms when you talk that way. Your silence is golden when you don't know what you're talking about. But if you know scripture and you don't speak, you're condemned. There's nothing that is essentially good or essentially evil. Everything is functional. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. I think that there's a link here with Galatians and that Paul is talking about himself. I think that's the function of the 14 years. But the interesting thing is that he says, the circumstances, I don't know, God knows. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. So interestingly, this person went up to the heavens and learned a bunch of things that he can't teach. So unteachable things. Paul has been spending all of his time talking about how everything he has to do is submitted to this text. It's about teaching this text, and it's only in order to serve this text. So you have someone who went up to the heavens, spoke directly to God even, and got all these things that he can't teach. Okay, great, you can't teach these things. So where do we go with this? On behalf of such a man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. So the link to Galatians here is legitimate. I talked about the 14 years. Paul, at one point, was an abuser of the church. And then he received the revelation of Jesus Christ, and he was converted and made into a messenger of this teaching. But the Paul that had so much to boast about, the Paul that could ascend to the third heaven, that could be the superlative Jew, the great, the mighty Paul, who was named after King Saul. That Paul is worthy of the kind of boasting that Paul's disciples appreciate. But the problem with that Paul is he had nothing to say. Saul had no teaching. He may have even gone up to the heavens and heard it directly from God, but he had no teaching. His teaching was one that was not about the kingdom. The teaching was one about worldly glory and fleshly glory, and this is what Saul was all about. And since Saul was all about this glory, yes, he could boast. He could boast because he was appreciated by his fellow Pharisees. People liked what he was doing. The Romans could appreciate what he was doing. He had all kinds of fleshly honor. But so what? Because the teaching that matters, the Torah, the Torah that is judging him, that is actually a word, he was not teaching. He was ignoring, and that's how he was able to persecute those who were actually interested in Scripture. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. I'm not going to actually boast. 
about my days as Saul. I was earlier when I talked about being a Hebrew and so forth and so on, but that's not what I'm about. He even says it's not profitable to boast, but I boasted because I needed to. And I made it serve the text, and so therefore it was godly boasting, even though boasting in principle is not profitable. So much of this book describes how the Corinthians are trying to figure Paul out. Is he a tough guy? Is he a wimp? He writes such a strong letter, but he acts like a wimp when we see him. He keeps getting beat up, and then he brags about it. It's hard to figure him out. But what he's saying is, no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Enough of the obsession about me. It's not about me. It's about the teaching. Listen to my words. Listen to what I'm teaching. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. Now he's talking openly about himself having received revelations. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satanas to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. And here, the messenger of Satan is akin to the leaven in Galatians. It's the agitation that God sends through the mechanism of Paul's opponents to make the bread of the gospel rise in the community. These opponents make it look like maybe his gospel is not working because he has taught the Galatians and then they want to go and find another gospel because his opponents come in and start sowing this other seed. And now he's got Corinthians he's having to deal with. He's teaching this teaching that no one will listen to, no one will follow, and all they want to do is have council meetings to discuss whether Paul is all that or not. But the agitator is only functional for Paul because of the gospel. We've talked about this to no end on the podcast, how the duty of the baptized person is to forego the victim mentality and to view all suffering as judgment. This is the only path to life. Trying to figure out who wronged you and why it was so terrible and how you can overcome it and not become like them and all this stuff that people spend thousands of dollars on that they should be giving to poor people or investing in education or whatever. They invested in trying to figure out why they're not happy. All of that could be solved by simply accepting that everything that bothers you is from God. Right. People have these thorns in their flesh of things that make them think that they're a failure. I'm not succeeding. I'm not fulfilling my dreams. Things are not working well for me. And like you say, Father, they're willing to spend so much time and money in order to excise this thorn in the flesh. Now, Paul in the next verse reminds me of Jesus in the garden. Considering this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. So, he at least prayed to God rather than employing a psychologist to remove this thorn from his flesh. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power, and we're getting back to 1 Corinthians, is perfected in weakness. Not Paul's power, but God's power, which Paul wields in the text. The verse continues, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And this power of Christ, like you said, Father, is the essential word. I mean, when the gospel speaks of Jesus being lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness, it's when the people are afflicted by the serpents in the wilderness that they look up to the serpent that Moses is holding, that they're healed. When the people are surrounded by torments, they look up at the crucified Christ 
and that's when they're healed of the torments of the serpents around them. This is what can cure Paul of the thorn in his side. Now, it doesn't say the thorn in the side is removed. The thorn in the side stays there because the Lord says his grace is sufficient. This is the weakness that I'm giving you. I'm giving you weakness for a reason. Paul had to come to terms with the fact that, yes, there's a failure in front of me. Why? Because even you, Paul, I won't allow to boast because that would undermine your teaching because it would become about you. This can't be about Paul. It has to be about the teaching itself because Paul will die. The teaching has to continue. If it is about Paul, and if it's about Paul's persona, and about Paul's strength, and about Paul's lofty rhetoric, then as soon as Paul is gone, the teaching is gone. Because the test is whether you believe and trust in the teaching. It's the same test for Paul as it is for the assembly in Roman Corinth. As I said last week when we were talking about boasting, we can't stand it when the teacher boasts because we don't believe that the book he holds in his hand is the word of the living God. We don't believe in the teaching and we reject the teaching. If you really trusted that that book contained the word of God, then you would realize that there is no suffering, there is no discomfort, there is no shame, there is no embarrassment that is not worth enduring in order to receive the Pearl of Great Price. Where your heart is, that is where your treasure is also. I've heard Christians who say they don't like to have crucifixes in their church because they want to think of the resurrected Christ, not of the crucified Christ. And these are people who reject Paul's teaching because Paul is saying that that rejection is the power of Christ. That's power of Christ. That's not the weakness of Christ Correct. in your mind. The weakness that you see of Christ is actually the power of God working in Christ because the power comes from human weakness. This is the only way that human beings can be powerful. People, human beings, must submit to weakness if there's going to be any kind of peace or community among human beings. It can't happen otherwise. Now, Paul was rational when he appealed to God three times, just like Jesus was rational when he appealed three times. He's saying, look, do I have to go through this? Nobody in their right mind wants to do this. But if it's your will, I'm going to do it. Therefore, Paul says, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And Father Paul Tarazi in his commentary on 2 Corinthians points out that you have five components here of Paul's difficulties. Weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties. In other words, Paul ultimately isn't being squeezed by the pillars by his opponents in the circumcision party. They're the ones that are squeezing him. But it is the Torah that makes it clear that it is God who is squeezing Paul. This is the real test. This is the real stressor for the Christian. The real persecution for the Christian is not that the Romans are persecuting us, the Jews are persecuting us. The real judgment is, will you accept the persecution that's being leveled against you? Because the Torah says, accept it. 
the prophets say, accept it because this is not from the Romans. This is not from the Jews. This is from God. Can you accept that? I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. You forced me to behave like my opponents in order to make the point when you should have been commending me for my actual humility because I myself am inferior. But if you understood the gospel, if you worshiped the crucified king, you would understand that my inferiority and the fact that I am a nobody is what is truly worthy of honor in the gospel. Before, when they were complaining or confused, but why does he sound like such a tough guy in his letters, and, but he acts like such a wimp when he comes? They're upset because when he comes as a wimp, they're very unimpressed. He's not impressive when they met him in public. And so why does he sound like such a tough guy in his letters? Why can't he be such a tough guy when he comes to visit us? But then the way he undermines it is he says, the way I should be acting is when I'm a wimp. When you're least impressed with me, that's when I'm a wimp. But I was forced to have to come after you guys like a tough guy. Being a tough guy is not how I'm supposed to act, but there's only one way I'm supposed to act, and that's to teach you lunkheads, because it won't get through your thick heads if I come as a wimp. You'll say, eh, he's a wimp. We're not gonna listen to him. So as long as I clobber you over the head, you'll listen. And if I clobber you over the head and tell you, by the way, we're all supposed to be wimps, but because you won't be a wimp, I'm gonna have to clobber you over the head like a tough guy. So maybe you'll learn something, because Paul is willing to be either a wimp or a tough guy, depending on what is going to be effective in teaching. Fast forward to the American setting where everybody worships weakness, not scriptural weakness, but weakness that benefits them. The only way to break their hubris is to play the buffoon. It cuts both ways. Nothing has changed under the sun. Now everyone will say, oh, Father Mark, we've evolved, we've learned, we now understand that it's bad to be a bully. It's bad to be mean and arrogant and presumptuous. That's why we like leaders who are so approachable and nice. No, you like leaders who are approachable and nice because you don't want to be crucified, which means that you hate the same thing that they hated in Rome and Corinth. You just don't want to be persecuted. That's the problem. And Paul didn't want to be persecuted either, but he accepted his persecution and said, all right, this comes from Torah, and so this is what I have to do. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles and these are akin to the miracles of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, because how does Jesus heal you? He gives you something to say. And that is the miracle of Paul's ascesis among the Corinthians. That's how a true apostle functions. Apostle gives you wonders, meaning gives you a word that undermines and questions your very presuppositions about the world. And the way that he's able to do that is simply talking about the power of Christ because Christ is a crucified one who is completely devoid of power in your eyes. Once he says the power of Christ, he has given you the word that undermines everything that you think you understand. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Stop playing the victim. You didn't have to do anything for me. You didn't have to pay into the collection. You didn't have to give me a salary. You didn't have to support me in any way. All you had to do was receive my teaching. 
And all that did, all that free gift did, was make you feel entitled. Forgive me this wrong. Forgive me for being so generous with you. Paul's not saying, forgive me this wrong. Paul's never going to ask the church for forgiveness. The fact that they didn't feel burdened, that they didn't feel like Paul's teaching was a burden to them, that it was heavy on them, Paul was trying to give them a word that was going to make their way of seeing the world heavy. But it didn't become heavy. They said, hmm, this doesn't seem to make very much sense. And they rejected it. They rejected his word. So the fact that they wouldn't accept him and accept his word and as a result, like the Macedonians, be generous but yes, of course, Paul rejects their generosity and therefore feel the burden of shame that they couldn't express the proper generosity to him. This was supposed to be a burden. Instead, they're like, oh, well, I guess Paul doesn't need us to give him anything and having a hard time understanding Paul because he acts like such a wimp, And but he's supposed to be teaching us. But when we read his letters, it sounds like a teaching when he's here. It's just, it's kind of useless. He's kind of a pain. He doesn't really offer us anything. I don't know, where are we supposed to be getting out of this? Well, there's, there's a burden. He's teaching you the entire time. You didn't accept it as a burden. You didn't accept it that you are supposed to be shamed by his word and by his action and his so-called wimpiness. You're supposed to be accepting this as your burden, the burden of the teaching of the word that he showed to you as a true apostle. Thanks very much, Dr. Bento. Thank you. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.